Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. Should we open champagne? Yep. Okay. I was looking at Margot Graham. I'm back from vacation. I know you really missed me. I did miss you. Um, you had to do all the hard work while I was gone. So, <laughs> so hard. Um, you had to wrangle 60,000 bikers they all were, on your own. They were not 60,000 How many here. were there? I, thought there was I think like, estimated like downtown, 20-ish thousand probably. Well. And they, honestly, they didn't roll in till late. I mean- because they were riding in a headwind, it was super hot out, and it was the longest ride of Ragbri. So it was it was actually more, by the time, it got wild later, but by the time we were closed. Did you yeah. come back down for the concert? Didn't you say you did? I didn't stay for the concert, mm-hmm. Hairball, but I did drop my daughter off for Hairball. <laughs> What'd and she I, think? She loved it, and now she, wants, she thinks she's a Hairball groupie, <laughs> and she wants to go see him at the state fair. Are you you know what? The next morning I came out of my bedroom and it smelled like piss. And I was like, what did the animals do all night? Like it was bad. But they were like, you know, the dogs were in their kennels and the cat was like shut in the bathroom. So I was like, I don't know what, what is that smell? It was her shoes. (gasps) They were covered in beer from being at the concert. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. I was really concerned about where this story was leading. (laughs) <laughs> no, it was just beer shoes. But man, yeah. it was bad. I had to wash them twice to get the stink out. Yeah. That's a wild night on me. But Street. I did I dropped her off and then I came back into our store for a minute because we have these pint glasses that are on a shelf, top shelf like near the window. And they were rattling during the day when like the other musical acts were on and hairball was gonna be like a million times louder. And so I was afraid they were gonna fall and break. So I wonder I pulled if, them off the shelf. I wonder if any of the people who live downtown like got hotels for the night to get off of downtown. I don't know, but I I live in North Ames, which is like, you know, obviously everyone who listens to this podcast is an expert on Ames geography. Yes. But I live several miles, miles from downtown. Yeah. And I was sitting out on my back deck that night and I could hear you her. You could? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was loud. Mm. Um, but it was great. It was, I Ames looked awesome people all the the writers seem to um, be very impressed with Ames yeah we we looked good it was a great opportunity to let people know like how cool Ames Main Street is yes it was even if they were drunk and they only have a hazy remembrance what a great opportunity for downtown businesses to get that kind of exposure I know name recognition for because people come from all over the country to do this cross-country the world. Right. I mean, we had people in who didn't buy very much because, you know, when you're riding 70 miles a day on a bike, you know, you're not going to like buy books. <laughs> um, but they would buy little things. And, you know, there were several who were like said that they would be back. That's really exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And then we had Genevieve Gornichek visit us, our old friend. Bookseller. Yeah. Fantasy writer. She's amazing. It was a great week. Yeah. I missed out on some special things, but I got to see some of the great wonders of the American National Parks. I went okay, to Yellowstone. Okay, so what was the best thing about Yellowstone? 
I really think that the bubbling sand pits and the grand prismatic like pool, you know, the algae colors, it's the, these pools. And it wasn't just the grand prismatic pool. They're rainbow hued because of the temperature of the water. So there's like almost 200 degree water in this pool and it makes it like brilliant, bright blue, like aquamarine. And then it like progresses through the rainbow green, yellow, orange, red, based on the algae that grows in the water because of the temperature of the water. So certain algae grows red at its perimeter temperature. And then the next algae grows orange because it's a little bit hotter. And then there was like all these bubbling pools and tons of sulfur. It smelled like ass, but my kids fart all the time. So (laughs) it wasn't that different. But I brought us back The Spirit of 1872, Yellowstone National Park, 150th anniversary. Wow. And, you know, I'm getting this at, like, the park general store on vacation. And I was like, ah, this is going to be, like, trash bubbles. But it's freaking good. I probably drank a couple bottles on vacation. And then I brought (laughs) two home, one for the podcast and one for the memories sometime in the future. Um, And my kids were relatively well-behaved. Um, we only had one hard hike. I like going on hiking vacations. I know they'll thank me later. (laughs) So cheers to Ellen. Cheers to for keeping things together. Well, that'll be your turn at some point. Yeah. I don't I feel like whenever you've left, there's never like anything really bad that happens. (laughs) I get like the easy shift. It really wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't busy in a bad way. Okay. It was busy in a good way. Yep. And we had sidewalk sales. Thanks for coming out and supporting us, guys. It was a really fun week, and now we just get to go like back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I was like getting depressed. Putting all. I was going through all the school like emails, back to school oh, stuff, and like extracurriculars, and putting all the dates in my calendar for the year. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, I really like not having a lot of, like, shit I have to run my kids to. <laughs> I'm going to get the soccer schedule at some point. Three of my four kids play soccer. And when those soccer games go on the schedule, then I'll be depressed. I love you. I love you, children. <laughs> I'm amazed by your athletic feats. <laughs> and I also love sleeping in and not being overscheduled. Okay, so this week, we are talking about the Venn diagram of Amanda and Ellen. There's many reasons why Dogyard Books has been successful for us. But one of the reasons is because the Venn diagram of our reading tastes is almost a completely overlapping circle. <laughs> so these are not like barely touching rings. We had to do that with our staff. We had to find the variation in reading taste amongst our staff so that we could have a more thorough curation. But we bonded early on over our love of good books because we have the best taste. We have great taste. Rachel, that's why Rachel really looks up to us. Yeah. She just aspires to join the circle. You could be the third circle. I'm okay. (laughs) So some of the books that we love, you know, they're not for everyone. Um. If you are a subscriber to the dog pack, you love our books (laughs) because we're picking the, in our opinion, the Amanda and Ellen seal of approval 
best books every single month. And we almost always 100% agree. Yes. And if we never completely disagree, it might come down to a two-way tie and we go with one over the other based on what seems to fit best that month. Yep. But we, I've, it's very rare that you'll read a book and I'll be like, hell no. <laughs> so we're going to start with some of the books that we completely agree on. And I guess we could start with some of the ones we've done this year and then kind of go into our backlist of books that we have great appreciation for. So, so I, th- I think that it's like a good marriage in that we have varying interests right. in reading tastes, but we agree on what matters. Yeah. <laughs> the things that we love the most, we tend to overlap on. Right. Agreed. Because you'll dabble into things like your weird horse thriller. <laughs> and I like foodie and bar books and like cocktail books. I didn't you. I didn't say that was a, like an excellent Yeah, book. but you went there. You <laughs> I, went I there. I did go there. So I we did. go, we go, we Different things pique our interests. So when we're going through a catalog and looking at the synopsis of a book, you might be drawn to something. For instance, your um, coming of age, teenage angsty novel that Love gets it. you, and you like the '90s, right? Um, I do, but it's more like the precocious coming of age. Yep, yep. Novel. And I love multi generational family stories. It's like they're gonna get me every time. Yeah, it's like you're, you're not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to coming of age, angsty, teenage, precocious. But it's like the special sauce. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. I would say when it comes to mysteries, we overlap in what we're looking for. Something a little smart, but one of our areas of dis like we have different favorite authors, so we can get to that. But yeah, I think mystery is actually maybe a genre we both read pretty heavily in, but we have. We're kind of drawn specific to specific taste. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so this year, there are a couple that we've 100% agreed on. Yeah. And I mean, if you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know. And if you haven't read them yet, we're going to tell you, you have to read them. You have to. Otherwise, why are you even listening yeah, to us Yeah. What are talk? you doing? You must not like champagne either. Oh, God. This is not a podcast for you. <laughs> If you don't agree with us all the time. So which would you, what is the best book you've read this year so far? This year? Mm-hmm. Well, this you, is really hard for me to name one or the other. You know what it is. To me, it's a two-pronged winner. Like, they win for different reasons. Yours is clearly Chain Gang All-Stars. Mine is clearly Chain Gang All-Stars. I give a two-way tie to American Mermaid because they do different things for my soul. And I need both things. And I, I love American Mermaid. But I think Ameri- American Mermaid is like h- hilarious, original, smart. I laughed my ass off when I yep. read that book. Um, so it definitely like did something for me that most books do not. Chain Gang All-Stars I, tops it for me because it moved me in a way that most books don't. My sister I was talking to on the phone maybe just last night, and she said, oh my gosh, I can't stop reading Chang Gang All-Stars. She is like a six-month-old baby and a toddler. And so if a book can grip you for 150 pages straight when you have kids that young, it's saying something. To remind our listeners, Chang Gang All-Stars, why don't you describe the premise? So premise is it's not... 
so distant future, there is um, a program within the incarceral system where um, prisoners who have been convicted and charged with or and sentenced to more than 25 years have the ability to participate in this program, which is essentially death matches, um, and it's for public entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like having your favorite NFL team or WWE wrestler, but you're cheering for them to slaughter people. Exactly. And they do it in these big arenas Mm -hmm. and they have fans and this and that, but they're fighting to the death. And if you agree to part, if you're a prisoner and you agree to participate in this program, if you last three years on the circuit is what Mm -hmm. they call it, then you're freed. And in addition to, you know, it doesn't seem like a good deal, but in this time, if you're a prisoner and you're in prison, they're torturing you, basically. Right. And so it's like your only chance to have, like, a life. Mm-hmm. And it is a very scathing and moving critique of the criminal justice system. What I think is cool about it is it's far-fetched, but the book does such a good job of illustrating how it's actually not that far removed from what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And it asks some really difficult questions about like justice and punishment and retribution mm-hmm. and how we care for people. Mm-hmm. And it just like, it just got me. Mm-hmm. And so if a book will like make me sob mm-hmm. and I can't stop thinking about it, mm-hmm. then it's going to stay with me for I will like never, a long, long time. I will never forget this book. One of the things we've both reflected on after reading Chinging All-Stars is what a powerful tool this would be in a high school setting for an advanced English class. But unfortunately, our narrow-mindedness in terms of sexual content or sexuality would preclude it from being included um, in the near future. But um, if you have an aggressive young reader, this would be a great book to hand them to get them thinking about the world. It's a great, It's a great example of what a book can do. Yeah ask hard questions and yeah. move you, mm-hmm. make you feel for others. I feel like a book that like changes me in some way or like really shifts my thinking um, or challenges me in a new way is like has done something pretty remarkable. But American Mermaid, yeah, I did love. See, I, to me, this is a perfect book because I am looking to be entertained and originality and absurdity are like my two favorite things in a book. I love talking about this book. I love telling people what it's about right. because it's so absurd. A woman writes a book about a, a baby mermaid that is washed up on the shore. <laughs> and she's discovered by the wife, the barren wife of an evil scientist. Yes. <laughs> and they blackmail a doctor scientist into transforming her into a human by splitting her tail. But he secretly keeps the ability for her tail to fuse back should she ever be exposed to water. So they for a they, lo- for a long enough time for a long enough but time. He doesn't. She doesn't know that, and neither does the family. Parents. Nobody knows. So she's wheelchair bound, and she she thinks that like she doesn't know that she's like secretly a mermaid. But remember, this is the book that a woman has written, <laughs> yes. and so it's about the woman who wrote the book and how much uh, passion she threw into the book. Her day job is teaching. Many observations about teenagers and teaching and femininity. Um, Her book becomes a national bestseller. And Hollywood decides they want to make it into a blockbuster like action movie. 
And this is about the author, Penelope, going to Hollywood Hollywood and helping transform the book into a movie, but all the sacrifices they're asking her to make to her work of art. And where I love this book is where the line between the fiction of the book and the reality of Penelope's life starts to fade away. And she fears that the heroine, the mermaid of her book, is coming to exact revenge on Hollywood for trying to turn her into a boobalicious, <laughs> um, sex-driven woman. And she, Penelope's like, the girl doesn't have a vagina. This is not about <laughs> sex. Let her be who she is. So there's so much, so much in this book. Um, so many other smaller storylines in it. To me, it yeah. was a perfect I, book. I really don't know that I've, I've ever read a book that made me literally laugh out loud the way this book did. Like, multiple times. Right, multiple I was like, times. oh my God, this is hilarious. And you want to read it out loud to someone. Yeah, and I would read it out loud to my husband. He'd be like, okay, 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 whatever. sure, sure. <laughs> like, Just read the book. We agree on absurdity and enjoying something original and quirky and unusual and funny. So another book that would fall into that category would be One We Agree On by Kevin Wilson. Nothing to see here. We've talked at length about Kevin Wilson on this mm-hmm. podcast. And I really feel like Kevin should come visit us. He should. We're his biggest fans. Biggest fans, Kevin. I challenge someone. I have read the backlist now. He, I will, I'll read anything he mm-hmm. writes. But Nothing to See Here is an example of an absurd story that's really funny. Yeah. It has a lot of heart. Right. Heart and humor. Yes. And it's about, um... This woman who's like, I think she's like 30 or something. Uh She's living at home with her mom and she's like kind of lost, doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. Thinks of herself as a little bit of a fuck up. And she gets contacted by her high school boarding school roommate who was instrumental in getting her kicked out at boarding school. Uh And I think her name's Madison. Uh And Madison is now married to a politician and he's got these twin children, boy and a girl. They're like 10. And he's running for office, and their mother has recently died. And they need a nanny. They need someone to come, like, live with them, take care of the children. And so it's kind of a cush job because, you know, everything's paid for. And so she invites um, the main character to come out and take be the nanny. But the catch is that whenever these kids experience big emotions, especially anger, they literally catch on fire. Mm-hmm. And so... It's about her relationship with these kids. Yeah. And it's also about the relationship between the two women. Mm-hmm. And, and there's there are other like sort of peripheral peripheral characters that work on the ground. Mm-hmm. So there's like a gardener. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other characters who play into it too. Bodyguard. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's about like, it's a little bit like chosen family. It's about uh, the power of connection. But it's also like, so wacky and funny at the yeah. same time. Very unusual. And one of the reasons why Kevin writes such fascinating and unusual stuff is because of his neurodiversity. He has these compulsive thoughts that are a little bit like Tourette's of the mind, where he couldn't stop imagining spontaneous human combustion. And so one of his processes for dealing with some of his repetitive thoughts is to work them into a story. And if you read his entire 
collection of books. There's these interesting threads that connect every single book to one another. So he's semi-worked out a component of the spontaneous human combustion in his book, The Family Fang. Um, Perfect Little Family or Happy Little Family, one of his earlier books that I I read is connected to his most recent, uh, Now It's Not the Time to Panic. They take place in the same town. So I love these strange connections and there's nothing normal about his books. No, there's they're original. There's like they have a levity to them, but they're also like just really get to the heart of things. I recently quoted Kevin Wilson to a customer. Did you? I did because I read this interview with Kevin Wilson um, a while ago and he talked about like someone asked him if there were any books that he regretted reading or he didn't like something like that. And he was he basically responded that that was a stupid question. (laughs) And it was a stupid question because he said. And I think I'm quoting him pretty closely here that he finds that if he meets a book on its own terms, he can get something worthwhile out of Mm -hmm. it. And I was talking to a customer who was in with his husband and his husband was like, he really, he he needs to become a reader. He wants to, we're like trying to get him into it. So I was helping him like find books to read. And I was telling him about like, you know, start with the stuff that feels easy to you that like you just really enjoy sucks you in. And over time, like you build stamina as a reader and you'll be able to tolerate reading books that like don't blow your mind or don't like, mm-hmm. I mean, I read tons of books mm-hmm. and I, you, there, it's very rare that I would regret reading a book. Mm-hmm. Does every book I read blow my mind? Mm-mm. No. Um, so I was quoting Kevin Wilson. I was like, if you meet a book, I was like, one of my favorite authors says, if you meet a book on its own terms, you'll find something worthwhile. Yeah. Great so, advice. Put that one in that. your pocket. Yes. yes. If we go to precocious teenage narrators, first one on our list there, we both agree on. Yes, and this is like, we're, we keep waiting for another one. Yeah, we want Rufy Thorpe. Uh, the Knockout Queen. Right. Which came out, I think in 2019 or 2020. Yeah, because I have the hardcover in my pandemic reading I do on too. Instagram. I think it was maybe early 2020. Yeah. And it was one of those books that never got like super hyped. It flew under the radar. I think it was maybe a book of the month selection, which was how I got it. It might've been how I got it as well. That's why I was just trying to think like there are certain books you're always like, how did I discover that? And it was one that when I read it, I sort of instantly knew like, mm-hmm. this is going to be one of my favorites. I like this premise. And, you, and I, and I remember talking to you because we were sort of in the, we had decided to do the bookstore, mm-hmm. but we were in the very like early, you know, figuring it out. And uh, you had read it and you felt the exact same way. You just get so excited. And then to have someone echo your feelings and be able to talk about it is so exciting. And there's some some absurdity in this book, too. So it's about this kid, Michael, who's like living in California. And he lives in this, he lives with his aunt. Aunt. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty poor. But next to his house is this McMansion. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a girl, Bunny, who lives there. And... um, they become friends and Bunny's dad, isn't he? He's like in real estate or something. He's a mover shaker kind of, but also a little sketchy. Yes. And Bunny is an athlete Mm -hmm. and she's a boxer. Yeah. She becomes a boxer though. (laughs) In high school, in high school, she plays something else though. I forget. Volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Volleyball. She's a, but she, ends up getting into a fight, a very vicious fight, um, I think kind of on Michael's behalf. 
Yes. Um, in his defense, because Michael is, is struggling with his sexuality. sexuality. Yeah, and is is been threatened to be outed. And Bunny, in her own way, is like you know she's she's wealthy. She, mom's not in the picture, but she's very tall, so she's like always sort of like picked on a little bit mm-hmm. because she's like six foot something or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's about their friendship and how their paths diverge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about how you can grow apart from someone, right? And like, but still care deeply. Yes, and like when you reencounter that person, you can still feel that connection you had. Um, Bunny, the main character, reminded me of the older sister of someone I was very good friends with who also had high expectations placed on her for her athletic performance and just how like parental involvement in that can stop looking out for the best interests of the child. And so that's very much the trajectory of Bunny's life. But Michael is this is the precocious narrator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we agreed on that one. Um, Another odd one not for everyone drive your plow over the bones of the dead it won the pulitzer prize correct yes and this is um olga turksuk yes i polish writer right yes Mm -hmm. so it's about this woman janina who's like a retired ish english teacher and she's living in this small town that people will winter or summer in sorry Mm -hmm. and it's on the czech and polish border Mm -hmm. and she um, has a huge problem with people hunting. Mm-hmm. And so she's always going down to like the city, the, the leaders of the city mm-hmm. and complaining about people who are Ill- illegally hunting. Right. And everyone thinks of her as just like this batty old woman. Mm-hmm. And she's very aware that that's how she's perceived. Yeah. She's ignored. Um, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And then people, hunters, start dying mm-hmm. and she's got a theory and of course no one's listening to her right and her theory is what i forget what her theory the was. deer are doing yeah it. the deer are seeking the deer revenge are, the she's deer are still, taking revenge so, yep but she, my where i got hung up in this i mean she she has these dogs she loves yes. her dogs well she, she has dogs that are deceased yes and she doesn't necessarily. And she's grieving them. Yes, but she, she also wonders how they died. Yes. Um. She there was the dogs. Um. There was the belief in astrology. Yes. I went on a deep dive into astrology. She very much puts faith in what's happening in the heavens. Mm-hmm. Um. But this is a story where you love the twist. Mm-hmm. When the truth is revealed, where the genius is revealed. Is the fun part? She's a, she's such a great character. Yeah. Like if you're if you're a person who loves like character work, you got to read this book. All right, all right. One that we read in book club together years ago. Tell the wolves I'm home. Oh my gosh, I that, love that. If book. you next time someone comes in asking for a book to make them cry, that, yeah, I we cried the last like several chapters of that book. Right, just nonstop, and I should read it again. Yeah, I have it on my mantle. There's a few books that get to live on my mantle because of the impact they've had on my life, and this is one of them. And this was one. It was chosen for our book club. I'd never heard of it, and I was Mm -mm. like, it didn't sound interesting to me. We need to go back to our book club and be like, hey, who picked this? It was Amanda Robinson. Amanda Robinson. And I loved it so much. And it's about this. It's in 1980s. The main character is June. I think she's 13, but she's telling the story now as like a 16 year old. So she's looking back 
And her best friend was her uncle. And he passes away. And at his funeral, she meets a guy who's there. Um, it turns out was her uncle's partner. Mm-hmm. He was gay. He had AIDS. But these were things that she did not know. Mm-hmm. And so she has to sort of deal with, like, here's the person I'm closest to. And he had this partner. He had this whole life that was never shared with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about her sort of coming to terms with the loss of this person in her life. But it's also about, like, siblings and family relationship because she's got this sister that she's not very close to. She's wondering why her mom, like, never told her mm-hmm. about the uncle mm-hmm. and, like, what was the fallout between the two of them as brother and sister. Right. Uh, and it's just so beautiful. Really moving. A nonfiction selection that we both 100% and we actually have a couple. We have a couple memoirs that we love. One of which is Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpot. Yes, I um, bought the hardcover of this to give to my sister-in-law when they have their baby. Which is kind of like a forewarning of how deeply you're going to love and how much you will fear because of that love. Mm-hmm. That's the experience I had. Validation of the fear caused by your love. Yeah. You were just. And how do you, how do you cope with that? Yeah. How do you like live in the present and enjoy when you know that you cannot protect the people you love Mm -hmm. from grief, from tragedy, Mm -hmm. from hurt? Mm -hmm. Like that's, those are all a part of life. Yep. You know, it's living with both at the same time, all the time. Yep. That's what this is about. I would I would book talk this to, to my mom a couple of weeks ago and it made her cry. <laughs> well, now that I'm thinking about it, I really need to give it to both my sisters who have children. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I love it. And there's a turtle. And there's a turtle. Yeah. And, and also she has a really awesome dog. And it's funny. It's funny too. Yeah. It's funny. It's very it's a relatable. Of essays. Yeah. She is fantastic. Um, another memoir written by a woman who we've had the pleasure of meeting now, Adrian yeah, Broder. Yeah, I think we scared her a little yeah. bit. Because <laughs> we were like, oh my God, we love your back. She wrote a book uh, called Wild Game about her dysfunctional relationship with her mother growing up on the East Coast. Very place-based um, memoir. Very beautiful. Very coming of age. But it is about a very manipulative mother who doesn't act like a mother. Yeah. So the author, Adrienne, when she's a teenager, she finds out that her mother is having an affair with, like, the guy in the their couple best friend. Yep. Right? So her husband's best friend, best friend is who the mother is having an affair with. Right. And because she's maladapted and doesn't really have friends – the mother confides in her daughter mm-hmm. and kind of puts her daughter in charge of covering for her. Right. Um, she makes her be an adult. Yeah. The mom's a narcissist and just doesn't look out for the best interests of her daughter. And it's also about Adrian becoming a mother herself. Yeah. It's really wonderful. Yeah. It's an interesting read. It It's very compulsively readable. It reads like fiction. Oh, yeah. I blew right through it. Yep. Um, and then she, you know, she has a new book, a novel out, Little Monsters, which everyone should check out too. And I can see quite a few of the same themes yes. about dysfunctional family, um, identity, womanhood. Yep. 
And then we have the Poisonwood Bible. Yeah, Barbara. Everyone. Barbara Babs. She's amazing. She is so amazing. Everything she does. Um, So Poisonwood, for me, this is one you got to have a little bit of patience to get in. You, you've read it twice. I've, and you said the first time around, it didn't hook you. The second time around, it blew your mind. Yeah. And for me, this was a novel about grief. Um, and I needed to see my grief mirrored in a way that I had experienced it. And there is a mother raising children, um, in Congo, Congo, um, her husband has gone on this religious missionary Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an American family mm-hmm. living in Africa as missionaries. Mm-hmm. And they have four daughters. And they're growing up. And it's it's about the family, but it's also about, like, the politics and the U.S. involvement. And also, you know, just, like, colonialism and, you know, rolling into a country Mm-hmm. And trying to strip people of their culture or like fix them. Yeah. You know? And what does that mean for you if you're a kid and you're taken there by your parents? Right. I I loved what I learned about the country and its history. And US involvement. I mean, I, yeah. I remember the second time I read that book, I was like, how the fuck did I not know that we were doing this shit? Right. Like I felt indoctrinated. Right. <laughs> The wool pulled over our eyes. Yeah. And that's what Barbara does so well is she creates these, this narrative, these characters, families that you care about, but then there's this richness around it. It's not just about a family. Where it's I, about a family, the yeah. world, the country, the history. There's so much packed in Her there. Her books are always impeccably researched. Right. And wherever they're set, I always feel like the setting of her book is a character too. Right. It feels so authentic. It's not vague. You see it in high relief. It's, it, it is just unbelievable. We worship you, Barbara. Now, we're going to talk about the controversial stuff. The very <laughs> few books that we disagree on. Let's start with one that you love. You love. And I just couldn't do it. Inland by Taya Obrecht. Okay, now I'll give it a few. You give the synopsis and I'll give it a little bit of credit. Well, it, it's Southwest United States. Mm-hmm. It takes place in mostly the 1800s, but there's like kind of two different timelines happening about 70, 80 years apart. And um, there's a family and there's a, a drought that takes place while the woman's husband is away and he doesn't come back. And so she's like kind of running this southwestern homestead arizona territory and not knowing what happened to her husband and trying to survive amidst this drought the other timeline which happened years before is this guy who joins the camel corps which was a real thing Mm -hmm. um, in the southwest so he's riding camels around uh the southwest and you know trying to i don't even remember what all the camel corps was doing Mm -hmm. they were fighting native americans Mm -hmm. kind of doing some messed up stuff. Right. But anyway, it's how these two stories converge. And as you're reading them, in the whole book, like they don't converge till the end. And you're not sure like how how it's going to come together. Mm -hmm. What is the connection here? But 
And so I'm a little bit like blurry on the plot details because mm-hmm. it's been a while since I've read it. Mm-hmm. But the the quality of the writing was what hooked me. I thought her writing was perfect. So what was the book she wrote before this about the tiger? The tiger's wife, I think. The tiger's wife. Very good. Um, here's what I think about this. Number one, you spent time growing up in the Southwest for a little bit. Your family's from there. Well, I I did not grow up in the Southwest, but my parents did. Yeah. So, but you traveled there. Your relatives. I spent a lot of time in right. the you Southwest. Said you lived in I lived in New Mexico for like a year. Right. year and a half. I but I was very I think I hate Westerns. I think I hate the Southwest. <gasps> I love you, the Southwest. <laughs> I think we have a subscriber to our subscription in Texas. We love you. Um, I, I, and I've traveled to the Southwest and I enjoyed it. But like books set in the Old West, I hate them. Every single one. I've not enjoyed one. I don't know. I don't know that I would call it a Western. I kn- I it think- feels like a Western to me. And the other problem with this book, it was written, it, it's written in the language of the day. The sentence structure, the vocabulary, it is written as if someone is ri- writing it in that time. And that threw me off. I just could not play along. Oh, I loved it. And, but what I will give Taya Obra credit for is I love learning about the Camel Corps. And like, who knew that we imported camels to do like what? Because they don't, because they don't need like that much water, right? Or they can, you know, there is a ghost in this story. Yes, and I kind of love a ghost story because I do believe in the veil being permeable between whatever else there is and current life so I like someone who plays with that who examines it so but I just I I appreciated it but I did not enjoy it okay now one that I just loved was the enigma of room 622 by Joel Dicker who wrote the truth about the Harry Quibert affair this is a very kind of meta mystery it's about an author writing a mystery and inserts himself into it. He's processing the loss of his editor. He doesn't think he'll ever be able to write again. He's just had a breakup. And so he places himself in a hotel um, in near the border of France and Switzerland. Yes. And he encounters a woman there, and they decide to determine why there is no room 622 between their two bedrooms in this fancy hotel. One's in 623 and one's in 621 bis, I think is yeah. what, yeah, it's like the the French equivalent of, you know, 621B. There's a 621A <laughs> and a 621B, and they want to know why there's no 622. So they uncover an unsolved mystery and they set out to solve it together. And the cast of characters that are involved in this mystery is crazy. They're all ridiculous. Um, they've all behaved poorly. <laughs> they all have bad motivations. So I, I, this one started out strong for me. Yep. Like the writing's good. I do like the absurd cast of characters. It was the resolution, which I will not spoil. Nope. That I just couldn't do. I loved it. But I was like, that would never happen. I know. <laughs> it kind of wouldn't. But that's kind of why I loved it. I love the ridiculousness. Um, an author that we disagree on, Emily St. John Mandel. I've read her at work. I've read it all. I participate. It's too, it's too misty to me. There's not <laughs> enough clarity. 
there, it's not grounded in a reality I know. So her collection of work would be Station Eleven, which I haven't read. I'll admit that. I know everyone has. I should have. Um, the Glass Hotel. And then the Sea of Tranquility. The Sea of Tranquility, which slightly connects to the Glass Hotel. So I've read both of those. They all are kind of connected. I love her. I will read anything she writes. I think her writing has a quality that is very much her own. Mm -hmm. I agree. It has a loveliness to it. I find Um, it mournful. That's a good word for it. It's lovely. It's mournful. She can pack a lot into a short amount of space. Mm-hmm. And I feel like her books deal with themes that in the hands of a lesser author would come across as really corny. I gotcha. And they don't with her. To me, she's an impressionist painter, and I like to see a little bit more yes. concrete reality. I love her. Okay. We can agree to disagree. Now, here's one that I've come around on. I love Jennifer Egan for Manhattan Beach. Don't know why. Loved it. It was about a um, scuba diver, basically, in New York in the early 1900s who worked in a shipyard and learned how to scuba to repair ships. Remember this? No, I didn't read it. Oh, my God. It was so cool. I love this book. This is like perfect historical fiction for me. I love the characters. There's some mystery. There's some tension. I can't remember all the plot points, but that was the part I enjoyed. And it ends up in California in the end. Um, Really enjoyed her. So when A Visit from the Goon Squad came out, I was like, yes, sign me up. I hated it. I loved A Visit from the Goon Squad. But, you know, it's one of those books that has a rotating cast of characters. Mm -hmm. It's... I would say it's impressionist, to use your word. I felt like the characters were were more clearly developed, but it felt disjointed to me. That's Um, fair. Yeah. But I came to appreciate it in retrospect once I read Candy House, which is slightly connected to it. Some of the characters cross paths. And again, a wide cast of characters that are all involved in this kind of like futuristic, social media-driven, monitored world um, and how they're all connected in some way. And I I do love when authors do this slight connection mm-hmm. between their work that allows you to evolve your understanding of the world that they are creating. So Emily St. John Mandel did that. Jennifer Egan does that. I enjoyed that book. Now, there are books that I love and books that you love there's quite a few books that you owe me. I, I was going There's through quite my a favorites. Few books you owe me. Okay, bitch. so books that I've loved that you haven't read yet. Um, one of which borders on the absurd. So if you want to go with us on this crazy journey, would be Sourdough by Robin Sloan. It's a magical, powerful sourdough starter that's going to take over the world, and it takes place <laughs> in I think San Francisco in the food market there the famous san francisco farmer's market is it yeah it is and this woman is very dissatisfied in her job her name is lois uh, she joins this like club of loises 
like they're all old women. And um, yeah, so they're Lois's and she joins this group and she's very dissatisfied with her job and she's always ordering takeout and she knows the takeout people are judging her. One day they evacuate their like business. They've been, you know, IRS coming to get them or something, but they leave her with their sourdough starter and her life changes. Weird shit happens. I love it. Um, So that's by Robin Sloan. One I know I need to read that you talk about all the time that we'll always have in the store is the flamethrowers. Tell me about it. Okay. Why should I read it? Because no one writes like Rachel Kushner writes. writes. It is per- pitch perfect. Okay? okay. There's not a word out of place. There's not a sentence that could be better constructed. And see, my respect for Ellen and my faith in our Venn diagram tells me that if I get that book... It'll be worth my time. It's The writing is tight. I mean, like from the first page, you're like, holy shit, she can write. And so just imagine this, 1970s. Okay, we've got a character, main character. She's trying to set the land speed record, record on the salt flats in Utah. Okay. Which then, I've seen. Fast forward. New York, 1970s, art scene. Also, Italian uprising, 1970s, all together in one story. And it's amazing. <laughs> and the writing is so good. And Rachel Kushner is a fucking badass because she has set land speed records. See, I forgot that part. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, when I read her collection of essays, I was like, oh my God, no wonder you wrote that story so well. Because like you, you have lived like, it. You, this is you. Right. So. Anyway. Okay, I'll go to the store. I will and buy die it. on the Rachel Kushner Hill. I will go to the store and buy she it. She is one she is like the writer that more people should know about. Yep. That's she what also you get. wrote an excellent book called Telex from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Which we have as well. Yeah. There are certain books, a dog-eared books, that will always live on the shelf because Ellen and I believe in them and love them. And we will always be able to go to that shelf. I was thinking about it when we were developing this list of things that we agree on. I look, I enjoy walking over to our fiction shelves and seeing like my friends, yes. these books. And someday we will be at a point where 90% of the books on the shelves are friends. You know, like yes. we will just between Rachel talking up Lucky Red and Amy talking up. Covenant of Water. Which Covenant I of Water. To read. Beautiful Creatures. Um Jessica talking of Legends and Lattes, like they they will all yes, Mariah Anthropocene reviewed. They will all be beloved members of our family. And I think that's really special and what makes Indies really exceptional is that when you come into this store, it's like coming into Ellen and I's home. Well, all of ours, yeah. All of our homes and getting to meet the books that have changed our lives and we hope will change yours. And also we get to go on that journey together. Every week books are hitting our shelves that could become the book that changed your lives. Speaking of which, this is a great segue. We can talk about what's popping on the shelves because we have one that we both agree on. Yes, we do. Yeah. See Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Right. And James is a favorite author in the store um, for Deacon King Kong has been making it the rounds around our booksellers. That book's been out for a while, um, but it's everyone who read who reads it is loving it. And now I need to read it because I read the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store and loved it. To me, this is as good. This is classic storytelling. He's a yeah. classic storyteller. He knows how to build a community, a cast of characters, 
a plot in which you're highly invested in the future of each character and you want to stick with them. They make, they become your friends. They become people you care and love about or love. And um, to me, it's very classic storytelling. Agree. So Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, let's tell them what it's about. So it takes place in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Um, and in it's in the 1920s, but it sort of spans to like the 1960s, I think. But it mostly takes place in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And it's in this neighborhood called Chicken Hill. And on Chicken Hill reside primarily Jewish immigrants and um, African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And... Um, during this time, so the main there are there are several characters, but your main characters are uh, one of them is a he uh, is a Jewish man and he owns a dance hall, right? And his wife owns who is disabled owns a grocery store called the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, and she's been around for a long time. She grew up in that neighborhood and she's like friends with everybody, uh, and she encourages him to integrate the dance hall, and so he does. And then um, a black man is working for him and his, the black man's Nate, right? Mm-hmm. Nate. And Nate's nephew is in trouble because he's deaf and he's at risk of being institutionalized. Because he's lost his parents. He, yeah. And so um, the community, all the people in the neighborhood sort of come together to try to protect this boy. Um, and there's a lot of other little like side stories and side characters, but it's mm-hmm. really about this kind of impoverished ramshackle community coming together um, to help somebody. Right. And it changes your it's a different narrative about that time period and groups of people living during that time period than what we're used to being told. Yep. It is more about unity and community and friendship and love and support and co- overcoming biases than hatred. It's seeing like the beautiful things that have that could have happened. And it sounds like it was based on biographical information about James McBride's own parents, that this is part of their family narrative is um, a blending of families like this. And in the in the end, there's an author's note that just, ugh. And he writes about, James McBride writes about time he spent as a camp, a camp counselor mm-hmm. at a camp for disabled children. Mm-hmm. And the book is dedicated to, it's in honor of the director of that camp um, and how he was very ahead of his time. And it makes you, I mean, I loved the book as I read it, mm-hmm. but then when I read the author's note, I saw it in a whole it, new light. Yeah. It just made it that If we could more. all be that camp counselor. Yeah. If that could be your legacy. You just, yeah. Just see, seeing, seeing. Seeing and loving people. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a gorgeous story that you will be very wrapped up in. Um, we love it. What else do we have coming out this week? This one's piqued uh, your interest. Shark yeah, Heart. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. It's about a woman whose husband, over the course of nine months, turns into a shark. As will happen. You know. A great white shark. Yeah. You know, we think we marry a man, and then he becomes a many-toothed shark. God. What are you going to do about that? Jeez. Um, and next, thanks to Genevieve coming into town, a Greek mythology retelling called Medusa's Sisters by Lauren Bear. So we had this one on order, but mm-hmm. I upped it because Genevieve highly recommended it. She right. met the author, she read the book, and she said it was excellent. And it is about Medusa and her sisters 
being turned into gorgons. I didn't know that's what it was called when they were turned into stone with all the like snakes no. on their head. They're gorgons. Gorgons. It's not. They're not called that because they turn, got turned into stone. Okay, I'll start over again. That's who they are. Like that's their creature name. They're, they're oh, Rachel, you didn't know your camel facts, so mm-hmm. I'm questioning your authority. They. They. That's their daughters of Emily. Um, is she telling the truth? Okay, Emily said she's telling okay, the truth. Honestly, are we taking Amanda for face value here? Because she didn't even know Medusa got beheaded and told me that I spoiled that for her. She did. <laughs> anyway, spoiler alert: it's a sister story, okay? And apparently, Mariah on staff picked it up immediately after Genevieve said to read it, read it, and was shook. So this shook. is her new favorite. Book. So read it if you like Greek retellings. This but one's spoiler for you. alert. Heads Medusa. will roll. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in paperback, it's um, an updated edition of a romance called Magnolia Parks by Jessa Hastings. We have some great romance readers on staff. Um, Katie is one of our romance lovers and she was on the magnolia parks bandwagon it's been picked up by a major major publisher has a new cover it's about a beautiful affluent self-involved and neurotic london socialite in love with a rich bad boy will magnolia parks and bj ballantyne ever make it work i don't know but i think they'll have sex i think there'll be a lot of sex Okay, in kids, we have a new edition in the History Smashers collection. This is taking history that we're all taught in elementary school, like the basic stuff, like the Mayflower and the women's right to vote, but telling you the true history. We've all got the glossed over fancy history, and this is about Christopher Columbus and the Taino people. Taino. Taino. So it's re-educating people on Christopher Columbus's quote unquote discovery of America the quotations will be corrected with this retelling and then I love in board book there's this book called leaf man by Lois Ayler it's about a little man made out of leaves and all these different leaf shaped like turkeys and ducks and turtles and pears and all the fall wonderful things made out of leaf shapes. It's the perfect fall book. It's being reissued as a board book. Pick this one up. It's perfect for fall. All right, Amanda, what's popping at the store? I'm going to read with Lovey on Wednesday. Whatever's floating my boat that day. So come join us for story time at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, August 9th. And then I have to shout out for Tuesday, August 8th, my baby Atticus is turning 11. So happy, happy birthday, birthday, Atticus. And he wants to come on the podcast soon. Okay, let's do it. Friday, August 11th from 5 to 6 p.m. is our Totally Graphic Book Club meeting. They'll be reading Sunshine by Jarrett Krasowska. Is that what he said? I love you, Jarrett, even if I can't pronounce your last name. Registration is required, but we would love to have you join. And then Sunday, August 13th, happy anniversary, baby, um, from 3 to 4 p.m. is Teachers Only Book Club. Are you saying you've been married? Yeah, the August 13th is my anniversary. I'll have How been many married years? 18 years. Congrats. Was it a Rachel. hot wedding? Hot. Was it hot? Oh, yeah, it was hot. My wedding was so fucking hot. Like, you I was what? sweating so bad. I guess what time of day I got married. Mm, oh, I feel like. I remember this. It was late, right? 7.30 was my wedding. I like that. So 
we got married late. The sun was going down and we partied all night. That's amazing. I went to bed. I like, just went to bed. I was so fucking Yeah, tired. yeah. When the reception was over, that's just, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no hanky-panky. It was like, oh, it's tired. <laughs> Night. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't drink enough at my wedding, and then I told my sister I didn't drink enough at my wedding, so she needed to make sure she drank enough at her wedding, and we kind of overcorrected. <laughs> and then by then, the time my next sister got married, it was time for me to drink too much. So... You know, it happens. Fun time to celebrate. Anyway, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. I know they're not good. Glass. That scared me. We're dueling. (laughs) (laughs) Dueling champagne glasses. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow. Because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yep. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. <laughs>